0: all right we are live on the, another episode of the edlo podcast hello scott saraboff
1: hello mr edlo josh how right.
0: are you i'm doing good thanks for coming on uh scott you you run a deeping source which is your new company this is like the fifth or sixth one that you've that you've started but this mm. one specifically from what i understand has to do with ai and surveillance
1: that is correct that is correct. And, and if I can, if I can correct the record, the founders are actually out of Korea, a couple of geniuses with like 7 million patents or something <laughs> around, around AI. But most of the patents are around effectively the anonymization of personally identifiable information within video and other forms of AI.
0: Wow. So, so tell me what is the, you're actually collecting, this business is collecting personal information through AI to help better serve customers? Is that kind
1: of what you're planning to do? Yes. So let's let's parse that into two things. So first of all, for people that don't know what the term means, right? PII, personally identifiable information, is a fairly new legal term, especially here, not so much in the GDPR countries. But it's basically any information that is that could be used to identify you as you. Your face is the most obvious one.
0: Mm,
1: Right? Um, It would include biometrics like your eye, your fingerprint, your palm print. Now, what what we do as a company, just from a business model, is uh, let's take retail. It's the easiest. A retailer wants to know dwell time. How many people are in the store? Interaction with staff. But if you're doing this in a Any place where you're concerned about identifying the person, there are countries where that's illegal to do unless the person's face is anonymized. Hmm. So when we talk about the ethical use of AI and our own stance on it, the idea is, look, I want to be able to tell the gap. How many people are in their store, et cetera. I just don't want to be able to tell the gap who they are or give them a way to find out who they are.
0: Hmm. Okay. So what is the purpose of gathering the information? What, you, what kind of information are you gathering? Uh, okay, well, let's stick with the gap
1: example. So let's say that, um, you know, you and I are out shopping for wives. I don't know why we'd be at the gap, but let's say we go there. And so we're out. Uh, when we walk into the gap, I want to know where, and now I'm the store manager, I want to know where you and I go. Which direction do we travel? Where do we walk first? How long do we stop at a given display? Do we just blow past certain displays without even paying attention? Do we stop at other ones and spend an inordinate amount of time there? How long were we in the store? How many uh, associates do we interact with? All of these are metrics that the store can then use to make adjustments to everything from the layout of product to the layout of the actual store To employee training. So what really it boils down to the personal personalization of the shopping experience for the customer in the retail space more than anything
0: else. So are you collecting, it sounds like you're not collecting personal data per se. You're not collecting who they are, where they live, things like that. You're just looking at how they interact with the store.
1: I could care less about you except for your sex and your generally your age group, Hmm. right? right? But so when you walk in, I don't want to know that it's Josh Edlow. What I want it to say is, uh, you know, male 40 something. Am I right? Hmm. 40, 30, 30, 40 something. You're right. Yeah. Male, male 40 something. That's it. That's all I care about. Male 40, you know, 40 something, because that can help identify what might appeal and and there's an easy another easy example you know the when you're in a a college football town and the games are on saturday in the morning there might be a run on you know pizza and beer right Mm -hmm. pretzels Mm -hmm. and beer so if you can identify that your customer base on that saturday morning is mostly college aged males and females you can adjust inventory and placement thereof to more fully take advantage of the shopper Right Fourth of July, you want to put the beanie weenies and the buns and the hot dogs and the ranch dressing all close together, right? So I, but what I don't want is I don't mm-hmm. want to have any way to know that you are you.
0: Okay, well that's interesting. So now let's let's dig a little deeper into that because obviously, well, let me ask you about the the business. So how yeah. long is this business before it sounds like you're bringing it into America? It's been that in Korea. Correct. How long has it been in Korea?
1: About three and a half, four years. Uh, With the the caveat again being probably the first two were in silent mode while they were developing the tech.
0: Okay. Okay. And so how long has it been here in the U.S.?
1: Uh, September will be about a year since I started bringing it in.
0: Okay. And how is it going so far?
1: Uh, Actually, I think probably slightly better than I could have expected. It's a complex product um, and complex products always have a long sales cycle. But it is going very well because I think we're catching a lot of retailers and other uh, market verticals at a time where this is starting to become really interesting. And one of the things that I did in getting us going was I work with a, uh, a legal company called Aosphere. They're, they're I think they're based in the UK. But we maintain a database of court cases across the world that are specifically related to PII and AI and all that, right? And so uh, you must have heard of this. Uh, what was it, uh, two months ago? White Castle got hit with a $1.7 billion biometric lawsuit judgment.
0: Really? I, I actually didn't hear about that.
1: Oh, yeah. well, you can read lawyer and I can't. So you got to go, yeah. go check out the court case. But so essentially what happened was, White Castle was using biometric identifiers for their employees to get into work. I walk up to my White Castle job. I put my finger on the thing. Now, important side note, and you can explain this if I mess it up, but when you are, when you violate that particular rule, it's per incident. And the incident is when you do the finger touch. So if you do four a day for the whole year, that's 365 times four. So you get fined per incident right which is where you get to the 1.7 billion but they somehow lost control over the data or they didn't ask for permission i'm not entirely sure but the upshot was they lost an illinois derived and illinois has a tough data protection law they lost an illinois-based lawsuit to the tune of 1.7 billion dollars due to the number of offenses wow now no one thinks it's going to stick but it still sends the message
0: yeah,
1: right. Definitely. So right. so for a company like mine, it's like, OK, that's it sounds terrible, obviously, but it's great for me because it's something I can use with other companies and say, hey, it can happen. And mm-hmm. here's how you can avoid having it happen in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what do you do to avoid something like that happening?
1: You well, in that particular case, you needed to have a stronger effectively a stronger legal document with your employees that stated that the biometric fingerprint use was going to be for the one specific thing they didn't ask they just mm. installed them and you also need to make sure that there is some my fingerprint is unique to me but you could tie my fingerprint to a employee number which was tied to you know the people hiding assets right hide my identity Push it far enough away that all it knows is employee 6249 at store 11 clocked in. Mm -hmm. There there are ways to separate yourself. But because White Castle, when they put it in, didn't have to worry about it, by definition, they ignored it.
0: Mm, I see. Wow. So now um, we, we talked a little bit about ethical dilemmas in AI and AI is a big you know, it's, it's all over the place. Chat GPT is something that you're hearing a lot more about. We were talking off air about this ability where you could take somebody's voice if you have a recording for a little while, put it into a system and basically make people say whatever you want them to say. And We were talking about, you know, my, my practice as an attorney, how that could affect evidence uh, in, oh yeah, in, in cases, you know, someone said something, did they really say it? How good do you foresee this really getting is it going to get to the point where it's indistinguishable
1: i think there is a uh one of those inverse curves that the better it gets and the dumber we all get the easier it is for it to be good look we already and not i'm i apologize i'm not trying to turn this into any anything political but if if you think about it let me go with it we already live in a country where people question the truth Yeah. Right. Where a news report that you would have otherwise taken as the Walter Cronkite, just the facts is questioned. And so when people are willing to ignore factual basis like a flat earther, then they will be correspondingly more affected by a deep fake because those types of people that are going to be inclined to believe it will tell you. You're lying. That's not a deep fake. Mm -hmm. As it gets better. Now you, you, when we were talking off air, you mentioned audio. So audio is already pretty easy. I can take a voice and I could insert it into a recording in such a way that it would be difficult to tell that it it'd be difficult to tell it wasn't the person. You'd probably have to disprove it based on timestamps on the audio recording if you could find them and they hadn't been messed with videos not quite there yet but it's not that far and for your audience if you go and google pope white puffy jacket you'll see an image of the current pope wearing what looks like a balencia white ski jacket Hmm. and it fools everyone everyone thought oh my god now A.I. has a hard time with hands Mm -hmm. and the hands are in the pocket. But there were literally people who, oh, yeah, we believe it. We believe it. Until the guy who did it actually said it's a fake. There's an artist who entered a uh, it was a photography contest. He entered a photo in and he won the contest. And as soon as they called him up, he promptly said, I'm not taking the award because this entire thing was done by A.I. I just wanted to see what would happen. Wow. So it it in your line of work with this, you know, not everyone, obviously, but there's better resource where I find myself more concerned is in imagine your line of work, except instead of a lawyer, you're a political campaigner Mm -hmm. and can use audio and video for good or for bad, where it could be fake. It could be a presidential candidate being overheard saying all kinds of horrible things about, you know, Indians.
0: Yeah. Well, and you also have the issue of maybe they really did say it and all they're going to say is that's a deep fake. I mean, you're hearing so much about fake news. Very good. Right. Very good. good. So so right now you hear everybody calling the calling everything fake news. I mean, who's to say, Oh, that's a deep fake. I didn't really say that
1: that and you of all people as an attorney will know that's exactly right if you can make reasonable doubt on one side you can certainly make reasonable doubt on the other side and absent proof in either direction who wins
0: yeah well and you you know when you're talking about in the context of a legal case depending on whether you're in a criminal court or you're in a civil court you have a standard of proof right and you know in a criminal case it's beyond a reasonable doubt If you can say i didn't really say that that's a deep fake that poses reasonable doubt you know what What about
1: but your standard is less because on the commercial side the civil side the standard burden of proof is less so what happens when the, the, the the your client is going against the other guy and he says that video of me pocketing corporate funds to go to tahiti is a deep fake
0: yeah and that's the problem right it's hard because it could sway one or the other my standard is more likely than not, it's 50.01%. So, I mean, if you got a 50-50 case and someone's got something, it could swing it one way or the other really easily. I mean, it's it's really scary. It, this AI, for some reason to me, sounds incredibly scary for the future, for my kids, my grandkids, because I mean, look, I, I told you off air, like I, I grew up on the Terminator, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I
1: mean? War games and yeah
0: yeah and so who who's to say when how far off are we before ai um becomes indistinguishable from reality like total recall
1: okay so um let's let's try to break this down into some digestible chunks right so first of all we do not yet have generative ai in the sense that what generative ai means is Effectively, it's indistinguishable from human intelligence. Okay? okay. We do not have that. You'll hear the term used, but it, and it irritates me. It's starting to be used to refer to AI that generates something like a piece of music, right? Okay. That's not what they mean. So until we have generative AI, it's very important to understand that AI is not intelligence. It is a, okay, I'm in court and I'm going against you, and we're doing a court case where it is filled with legal abstracts, things that can go all the way back to English common law, right? Right. The AI can look up and read every case with any smidgen of evidence or relevance, sorry, relevance, from the beginning of recorded legality all the way forward. So it's not that it's intelligent, it's that it can read and parse data so much better than humans can. So an AI can pass the LSATs simply because it has the ability to look at every LSAT ever given and look at all the answers, et cetera. But that's not intelligence. That's just, hey, if I gave you an LSAT as an open book test, it's kind of the same thing.
0: Right. So it's okay. just really data collection.
1: It's data con- collection, uh, analysis, and delivery. So, Chat GPT. So, when I sit down with Chat GPT, and I've done it, and I'm too busy to write a blog post. So, I say, hey, write me a blog post about, you know, uh, uh, whatever. The Chat GPT learns how to write based on having read a bazillion things across the internet and it's guessing what the next word is going to be based on experience, which by the way, is how we talk. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not smart enough to be thinking, oh, I should say this. It's saying, well, there's a 98% chance that if I say this, it will fit. And so everything you hear about AI, and this is another important thing to realize, AI is a percentage chance that the system is right. If I run your face through a database and it says, yep, that was Josh, it doesn't say, yep, that was Josh. It says mathematically, I believe there's a 92% chance that that face belongs to Josh Adlow. That's not intelligence in a standard that we would see it. That's just a really smart database. Got it. It looks like intelligence to us because when you go on chat GP and say, hey, write an article about Scott, it, it goes on and researches and blah 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 blah. But it does it so fast and you can do so many so quickly that per Isaac Asimov it looks magical because it's so advanced. But the, but have you read the NVIDIA financials, the fact they'll be a trillion dollar company? These my company uses NVIDIA GPUs. They're nine thousand dollars each. Hmm. So that isn't War Games Terminator, where there's a program that sneaks in, etc. Not today. Not not yet. It's just the training. And the bad part about the training is all AIs have to be taught. So you and I both have kids. When your kid is born, they don't know how to do anything and you're going to teach them. Sure. And they learn language by listening to their environment and then doing the classic. Oh, my father is pointing at a dog and saying dog. Right. I've even I've read uh, psychological studies that say children associate their parents in their first few months of life as different versions of the parent mad face, happy face, neutral face. And they actually see them as three different people for the first couple of months. Hmm. So chat GPT. Every time you and I go into chat GPT and say, write me this. If we correct it, it it reads it. If we give it a thumbs up, it accepts it. And it's constantly scrolling through the Internet looking for more learning opportunities. Hmm. That's all. The first chat GPT was terrible. Hmm. Here's, here's the problem. If And this kind of goes back to what we were saying, and I've wandered. I apologize. But if I'm a member, which, oh, my God, I'm not. Of the american nazi party i could write a chat gpt that favored fascist language easy wow. S- I, I, easy
0: right so i guess for me the thing is is that i don't think anybody is really concerned about where ai is now i think it's worried by as it gets exponentially better i think it was elon musk who said if things get better one percent per year in ai eventually it will become indistinguishable so the the question is is does it have the capacity to become indistinguishable and how far away are we from that
1: you know i don't know if i agree with with the ever seminal mr musk on that or not <laughs> i uh-huh. i uh the turing test is going to be interesting because in some ways ai can pass it but in some ways it can't and the turing test was also you know he conceptualized that in what the 50s 54 or something mm-hmm. so which is the measure by which you know a computer is is indistinguishable from from a person um so i do think that if it, it did get better one percent a year there would come a point where, you know, we've all seen Star Trek movies or Star Wars, whatever. You know, hey, computer, do blah blahdy blah, and it sort of interprets and kind of makes decisions and and whatever. But you said something. I'm gonna I'm gonna not necessarily disagree, but ask you to think of it differently. Now is exactly the right time, the perfect time to be worried about AI, because the big issue that we're facing isn't in my current opinion how good it gets it's the indistinguishable part so i and you can't see because of my lovely background but as a as a lifelong long time uh you know fun thing i'm a musician so as there's a, there's a positive with AI. AI can be really good at helping create multiple ideas. I just read a great article about that for bloggers, right? Where a blogger is having a hard time coming up with ideas, so he asks ChatGPT, and it gives him a list of 25 trending topics to write about. And then the guy writes it himself. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. What happens when, and this goes back to us, if you can't tell the difference between an AI Photo, music, voice, human, etc. At some point when they're indistinguishable, any system that relies on them being distinguishable will break. Will break. Right now is the right time for somebody way smarter than me to come up with an authentication system, maybe blockchain-based, that allows one type of content or the other to be digitally watermarked as either human generated or AI generated. Hmm. So if you were in, lawyers have chains of, especially in criminal, you have chains of evidence. And if the chain of evidence gets broken as often as not, the evidence becomes useless.
0: Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if I have
1: an image that I say shows Joe shooting John, and that image has been digitally verified as being real. That should be part of the chain of evidence, just by way of example, for that particular thing. If I create an awesome work of art with my own two hands, there should be a way for me to digitally verify that it was generated by a human. Because what I really want is to know if it wasn't.
0: Mm
1: i want the default to be unless you have registered this as human generated it isn't Mm -hmm. because you haven't proven that it is
0: so i can see why that would be important in say the arts or collectibles or writing um things of that nature why people would care whether it came from a human or a computer but there are a lot of areas where i think i mean let's just use business in general sure. why would a business owner care if it's human generated like if if you can get ai to do something that a human can do at less the cost why would they care if humans they
1: run? wouldn't right. they wouldn't and and i don't think it would matter in that case
0: right, right. if
1: if so, go ahead,
0: so, go ahead sorry. so so i guess what i'm saying is, is i think that is part of the dilemma is i can see numerous jobs that disappear because of AI and and how far out are we that? And, and why are, are we having the conversations as a country, world, states, whatever you want, or, or people within AI talking about, well, what do we do with all these people when their jobs are taken away because there's a computer out there that can do it just as good, if not better?
1: Okay. So, uh, again, parsing it out. If I have a a business where i do a lot of blogging or copywriting or whatever okay yeah nobody cares right um there are certain things where it won't matter um i i was and i tend to go more this way on it there are going to be areas where in the law it's obvious but in content creation i could easily see a world where human generated art was more expensive than ai generated art oh sure then if you wanna read the greatest science fiction series from the AI science fiction bot, they're just less expensive because there becomes a premium associated with human versus AI content. If you don't have to worry about that, it doesn't matter. If you're a content person, I think you're hosed, quite frankly. I think in the legal profession, Instead of having a if if you can do away with I don't know who does this sort of thing a junior partner or whatever who does all of the hardcore research because you got an AI that can do it for you based on case parameter then that person needs to find a different use for their legal talent right they just whatever yeah. um, I I don't think there's any way around that and I think there is a huge problem coming that is inclusive of AI. Uh, based for example what happens when our national roadways and the trucking industry so the trucking industry is responsible for something like 90 percent of food movement throughout the united states Mm -hmm. what happens when that's all automated and the drivers are all automated what do we do with those people What are we going to do as a society? You can make that as big or as small as you want when people start losing jobs to AI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's probably insane, but I really believe that, that somewhere down the road, and I am, I am neither a, uh, I'm, I'm gray. I I don't, I do some things I'm conservative on, some things I'm totally liberal on. I just don't see any way that we're not going to wind up with a universal basic income designed to help those people whose jobs have been eliminated by a one-time AI purchase that works out to 15 cents an hour.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is that I was, that's what I got to tell you, the, the most compelling person I found in 2020 was Andrew Yang because he was talking about just that. I mean, he brought up this exact issue saying, hey, you know, we need to do universal basic income because eventually all these jobs are going to disappear. And how are people going to support themselves? You can't have a job based economy if there's not enough jobs Mm. to support everybody. And it seems like if you're a business owner with the with capital, and you can invest that capital in especially as minimum wage, you know, you you could talk about whether it's good or not. But here in California, it's 15 bucks an hour. You know, what I mean, I mean, I can't go to Chipotle for less than $20. Mm -hmm. And so if you could eliminate those people and create some sort of ai that can make my chipotle bowl at, and not have to pay somebody 15 bucks an hour and make it cheaper you're gonna have a hard time convincing somebody that they should pay 20 bucks for that double chicken bowl and a soda when they could pay 10 and not have to and not have to look at somebody making the bowl and that's and, yeah. and that's hard right like that's hard it's a hard desk so i think that Andrew Yang was years ahead of his time when he's saying, yeah, universal basic income is going to be needed uh, at some point. And I, and I don't like that. But, you know, there's only so many jobs when AI comes and takes them all away. And well, I mean, even, you don't sorry, you, you say you don't I mean, like it. Go ahead. Yeah, go well, ahead. let me just say the other thing. Even like this writers strike that's going on right now.
1: And a up. lot
0: of that has to do with AI, right? Yeah, because because yeah. eventually you could spit out, "Hey, write me a sitcom on this thing," and it's just as good as a writer who's an art who's an artist. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to have writers for TV. I mean, that's uh, you know, it, it goes that far and that deep.
1: And and you We went through a period in, what, the 80s-ish, the Lee Iacocca era where, you know, robots started to come into General Motors plants and replace, you know, some of the stuff that was going on. Very, 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 very tiny example of what we're talking about. Um, So the creative parts, you know, I mean, you're right. I, I believe there's even a TV series, YouTube or something, that's all AI written for script. Oh wow! As of as of right now, and interestingly enough, I just read that uh, uh, Deadpool three has a unique problem because Ryan Reynolds is credited as a writer on Deadpool two, and because of the writers' strike, writers are not allowed to contribute any edits of any kind during post production. So he's in this weird spot where he can't ad lib. Because he was a writer, because if he does that, then he's he's breaking the writer's guild thing. And so I, I, I see what the I see what the problem is, but I also don't see any logical way to fit. I mean, you could what budget goes in. Use your example. If I go to Chipotle and I can pay 20 bucks for the chicken bowl, double chicken bowl because people gave it to me. Or nine ninety five because a robot system gave it to me. What the hell am I spending the extra ten bucks for?
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what: disproportionate scoops on those chickens. Have you ever? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what: depending on which human you get, depends on how much chicken you're getting in that bowl. Okay, anyway. that's a,
1: that's a fair point. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why you that's why you're you're chatting up the people on the ordering window to hope you get that. Little extra <laughs> exactly. Thing going. But when those people, this isn't. People being lazy. This isn't a welfare state issue. This is at some point, any modern economy is going to run into a scenario where there are jobs being replaced by things that can do it better, cheaper and faster and aren't human. So they can work 24 hours a day, blah, 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 blah. And you cannot fairly expect those people at 50 years old to what, go back to school to, I mean, There's got to be a way to look at it and say, you know, uh, in the Netherlands for years, they used to subsidize musicians, artists, really, in general. It wasn't a lot, but they believe in supporting art and the economy. So if we start seeing artists being supplanted in the industry where Muzak is created, that elevator music we all make fun of, then, then what's wrong with some sort of universal basic income so they can... Meet the basic necessities of life and still be creative, right? Right. I don't see another. I don't see another option because guess what? Once you program the AI, and once you get the AI, the black box that no one understands actually true. No one understands how it's learning. It's not as if you have to teach it how to do better chicken bowls. It will learn on its own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nvidia wrote an ai program and said learn how to drive and didn't tell it anything other than learn how to drive by watching youtube videos now that's a two-dimensional image right right mm-hmm. it did it and they don't know how they have wow. no idea they're literally like we have even if we break the black box down we're not going to be able to tell you how it learned that it just figured it out wow so if you can if, if you could hire an assistant and it cost you up front, but never anything else. And it learned just like an associate would learn for research. You'd be way ahead after a couple of years.
0: A hundred percent.
1: So does that,
0: does that not scare you? That there's a, there's an AI out there that figured out how to drive and they can't explain it.
1: It makes me uncomfortable because I think the second you start, you start not knowing why things are happening, you, run, you, you do run the risk of allowing something really bad to happen. So uh, there's, there's a historical reference that I think is great, which is the during the Manhattan Project in 45, the first atomic bomb test, there was a cadre of scientists working under Oppenheimer who believed That starting a chain reaction would cause the atmosphere to become a part of the chain reaction, catch on fire, and destroy the earth. And they couldn't prove that it wouldn't happen. They didn't think it was going to happen, but it was mathematically not possible to prove that it wouldn't. So that first test, there was a group of guys going, well, this might be curtains. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about... Now, I'm not opposed to genetic stuff when it things that we can understand but when you start fooling around with really high level genetic stuff we don't understand how most of the genetic stuff works just because we right. map the genome doesn't mean we know what everything does and all that junk dna et cetera. so same thing here if you can't tell me how it works then you have no way to guarantee me that the way it works isn't going to be really bad
0: right right well and that's if it can learn that what else can it learn and that's, you know, in, in who's to stop it from learning things you don't want it to learn.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't remember what the premise for Terminator was, but the war games, you know, uh, way back in the 80s with Matthew Broderick, the premise was the system, you know, it was told to make the Earth, you know, protect the Earth, right? Or make mm-hmm. the Earth last forever or whatever. And so it decided, well, the easiest way to keep the Earth going is wipe out the human race.
0: Right. It's, it's very similar to in Terminator. And it's just it may have Skynet. been Terminator. It, yeah. yeah, Terminator just Skynet became self-aware and realized that humans were the problem and decided to destroy all the humans. There you go. And, and
1: so, you only deliver morality to a non-emotional anything through teaching. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why you hear about bias and AI and everything else is because the people that are teaching it. And by the way, when AI is being taught, so here's an easy one. In order for me to teach an AI what a car looks like, I've literally got to show it a bazillion different images of a car, not only static in a special room, but out in the wild. Mm -hmm. In order for me to tell AI what the difference is between a sarcastic smile and a real smile, I have to show it differences, but I have to tell it the differences. So way back when Open, not OpenAI, sorry, when ImageNet was doing this, They hired people, and this is my point, people are still heavily involved in this. They hired people to look at images of you and me and, okay, and identify him and what he's thinking or looking or whatever. So, okay, he's got an angry smile and he looks mad and he looks drunk and that looks like a prostitute. These were humans making these decisions and then telling the AI, recognize that as what I tell you it is, which is a recipe for, If I very privately don't like African-Americans, I can put every picture of an African-American into a category that I think is somewhat denigrative to them, right? Mm -hmm. Drunk, Mm -hmm. drug addict, thief. You get the idea. And that's a big part of how AI is taught today. So if you took Skynet and said, hey, Skynet, all people with blonde hair are killing the earth. Skynet Mm -hmm. might decide, OK, well, blondes, you're all dead, right? and if so is there a part of it that scares me yes but that's why i think now is the right time to be putting guardrails around the whole system inclusive of identification of ai versus human creation what it's allowed to do we what we really need in our country is a a uh What is it? Not a government body, but associated where you've got government and non-government people who effectively can sit and look at the characteristics of AI and, you know, give it the yes or no. You you, can't do that. You're allowed to do that. Because if we don't, the financial benefit of using AI will drive AI to a point where we will wind up with the computer version of fracking.
0: Right, right. Man, so, but do you, I mean, who does that? Do you trust the government to be able to properly regulate AI? No. This is going on? Right. No. That's no. that's the thing that's a problem is that this is, you know, it, it's funny because I go back and forth, right? When I think about these things and we talk about, oh, the jobs are going to be lost. I think about, well, okay, you know, I'm sure when cars were being created, all the horse and buggy people were like, you're going to put us out of business. You know what I mean? And, and they eventually did. But then there were all these jobs in the factories Or they could drive
1: a taxi or they could go learn to drive a taxi.
0: Right, exactly. But here with AI, it seems so expansive Mm -hmm. that it can really just wipe out so many areas that where are you going to put all these people who need jobs? Even if you're like, well, you could go back to school, but it's like everybody, you know, Mm -mm. At, at some point there's, there's not enough jobs to be had versus the population out there. So there's so many things with AI that I think are so beneficial. I mean, like your, your idea to me, when you say there's a, there's, you could hire a a chat GPT that does only legal research. I think to myself, I would save so much time just, just doing that instead of having my, my associate would have so much time to do other things that I need her to do because she wouldn't have to be doing all this legal research for me. But at the same time, if it gets too good, what's the need for the associate at all? um
1: you'd have to answer that because you you know much more about that than i do but i tell you this if you're a if you're a writer or a blogger and you ask chat gpt give me 10 great topics and give me some research mm-hmm. then you've saved yourself hour after hour that you can now use towards the creation of the content so that's a positive
0: that is yeah. and
1: and frankly, okay. If you had an assistant doing that, well, the assistant took two weeks to do it and chat GPT took two and a half minutes to do it. Yeah. The that that your assistant's got to do other things. I don't I don't know, but but there's there's the, the progress that, that allows us to do is or is it worth the cost. We'll get a lot of benefits here with with artificial intelligence's ability to come up with uh, new ways to combat viruses and new ways to work with, uh, uh, MRNA and et cetera. It's brilliant at all that. Right. But you again are correct. The money and the, the government can't handle it. They can't handle being the government. They're not going to do this well either. And anyone right. with money, I mean the fact that what's his name from open AI is like, okay, we're going to kill ourselves if we don't regulate, please set up a regulatory body. Right. Is Kind of cool, except the government will take years to argue over it. And anyone who could make a boatload of money in AI is going to do the classic. Here's a bunch of money. Here's a bunch of uh, lobbying and whatever bad things will happen. I'm going to be dead by then anyway. Kick the can down the road. Yeah. So I agree with you. I don't think that at least not the one that we have today. This 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 lineup of of, uh, so-called government people who who might very well want to try and and fix it but they don't they don't have the fortitude to to do it and so it will remain unregulated I mean the the current Supreme Court my apologies because you're in a lawyer but the current Supreme Court if there was a case like this in front of them my money would be they would either vote whatever the far right conservatives wanted or whatever the biggest money wanted it's not
0: it's very possible Not
1: what, not what the, and, and our,
0: your profession, laws
1: are no, the law is nowhere near caught up on, on any of this.
0: Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I don't know if you saw even just, uh, they're not even caught up on the internet yet. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know if you saw the Netflix special about the guy who was going in and, and, uh, in yanking, uh, naked pictures from everybody's emails and then posted them online and made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name. He was the most hated man on the internet or something like that. And like, that, you know, it was early two thousands when this was going on, but he would basically get, it was a revenge porn. People would be sending pictures to him of their ex-girlfriends yeah. and he was putting them up on. And they finally, just in the last, I probably five or 10 years made that illegal. I yeah. Mean, it wasn't was
1: illegal. Ill- yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, so it's, it's, yeah they're not even caught up on the internet yet and the the problem is is this stuff is so expansive like that's one of the things that i think is a dilemma is that our minds don't even process enough to really keep up with how fast ai is moving if that makes sense you know
1: It, it does make sense but i would caution you to to not only for you but for the your audience is not to be seduced by the way the articles about AI are written because it sounds like it's doing a lot more than it actually is Mm -hmm. right now. There's a lot of hype, and -hmm. there's a lot of smoke, not nearly as much fire, but there is fire. And so, as everyone knows, if you light a small fire and you're not careful, it turns into a big fire.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's where, where at least my concern is, is it's not where chat GPT is right now. I think that's kind of fun and interesting. As you said, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's where it goes. Another area that I wanted to explore with you on this was sure. AI in the context of relationships. I mean, if you saw Ready Player One with virtual reality, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. AI mm-hmm. has the ability to kind of um, create worlds where it'd be easy to get lost in those and kind of lose a concept of reality. I read an article, a buddy of mine called me, who's another attorney who will remain nameless. And he called me probably five or six years ago. And he goes, Josh, I have an investment idea. He doesn't work at my firm. He it's just a guy I know in the community. Like, all right, let me hear it. And he goes, uh, sex robot parlors. And I was like,
1: Call tell me later, me more. Tell, I was like,
0: <laughs> tell me. I was like, I'm afraid to ask, tell me more. Okay. And he, and he was telling me about there are places in Europe where and this was years ago where they're creating these robots that can talk and respond to you and do these things and basically act as a companion, particularly for older people who are lonely and, uh, and they haven't developed into literal sex robots yet. But that they're just they're people who, you know, kind of almost like an emotional support animal, but a, a, a humanoid. And I was like, obviously, I go, yeah, there's no way I'm getting involved in any of that.
1: But, <laughs> but the thing
0: is, is that the that doesn't sound completely implausible. Where you could create a companion for yourself that is perfect for you, and with AI have them speaking and acting even though you know it's not a human can 98% of the time they're saying the right thing to you to make you feel good and they kind of develop over time by talking to you uh, do you think that that's even a possibility
1: uh, I, do you know I'm sure you do you know the number of people who will immediately start picking their nose after they've been told their security cameras in the room they're in they forget OK, so if you come up, if you find a person, whether it's a lovely older person, it's just lonely wife died, whatever, or much more terrifying, a disaffected youth who has been bullied. At some point, it is likely that person could say to themselves, I don't care what anyone says this is real. My A.I. friend has become a real living, breathing thing. And so for the older person, it's wonderful because it's a companion. They're enjoying it. For the disaffected youth, when the AI starts saying, you should do something about being mad, like, I don't know, blow up a post office. That's the scary side because we don't have a great, people do not have a great ability to differentiate between, well, Josh, your AI isn't real, but mine is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: they mm-hmm. they will go to what the illogical things our minds will tell us right the mm-hmm. the fill-in capacity that our brains have and see their thing as different from yours they could be the same program yeah. but somehow the, and so that is to me a very frightening thing
0: it, it is and i mean i i just think about look i got i got uh kids at home two of them have phones two of them don't 16 14 12 and 10 and I, they all, it's amazing how, how they don't interact with humans just by staring at a screen. I I couldn't imagine if there was, you know, some sort of robot in the house that could talk to them and make them feel better about themselves when they're struggling or make them laugh when they need a laugh or wrestle with them when they want to wrestle around. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that. I like that that though. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's what I'm saying is that you, You know, those are those are things we humans are an interactive species, we need we need human interaction. But if that gets complicated by AI and robots that look and act and speak and do those things, just like a human does what does that do? I mean, maybe that's not a bad thing, but it's, it's I I gotta, I gotta tell you,
1: do we need human interaction or do we just need interaction? So I have, I have three dogs or I should say we have three dogs, right. And they can't talk and they're dumber than dirt, but the interaction, the the affirmation of life interaction. And if, if we had a robot that was, uh, (laughs) I don't know if you're have ever seen the the very original Battlestar Galactica the kid there was a kid who had a robot dog as a as a pet hmm. and if we had those kinds of things I I would hope but I actually think it would be good I know that my kids and mine are 14 and 12 so we're in the same wheelhouse when COVID was just at its peak the methodology by which they connected to other humans changed it's through a computer yeah, sure but they still talked to other humans now they couldn't see them Unless I had a webcam, but you get my point. But it was the interaction that was important. And so I think that if you had somebody that's slightly autistic or or where they're having that, it's a little bit difficult in the interaction. I think any positive interactions there could be really, really helpful. And the more human-like it came across, the better it would be for that person. Because you can give a lot of affirmation. Mm-hmm. to a person that way. And again, they're going to say when some dummy says, well, you, your robot told you you were a cool kid, whatever. And to that kid, he's going to be like, yeah, it did. And I believe him because my yeah. robot's real.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, I guess that's the, a good ethical dilemma question is, does it matter if it's real? You know, I mean, does it, does it matter if the interaction is real? Does it have to be human? let's, let's use it as a, as a concept of a relationship. Let's say, you know, going back to the old person with the robot that's keeping Mm -hmm. them companions to, is that, does it matter whether that connection is real human to human or not? I don't know. It's a good question. Who gets
1: to, who decides what interaction means, right? Who decides What's legitimate for one person versus another? I haven't, I have an almost human interaction with music. Is it less interactive because it's with mathematical notes and not a person, right? Same thing with the dogs. Um, I, I think that's one of those things where it's the beauty in the eye of the beholder. If you're getting something out of the interaction and it's a positive thing, I think you decide with the interaction. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and as a father like me, if one of our kids was interacting with a neighborhood kid who was clearly going down the wrong path, we would pull our kids aside and say, hey, that kid is maybe not the best to hang out with, which is no different than my younger son. Has he's come out of it a little bit, but when he plays virtual reality for about an, an hour or so afterwards, he acts like he's still in the game and what i mean is he's he dismissive of rules and he you know i can break a window whatever Mm. and so i've had to keep him away from vr until he got older because that's a bad interaction sure right right i don't care that it's vr or a person or whatever my point is one's good one's bad so i think the moral dilemma there really is is the judgment of a parent if it's a minor and if it's an adult What are you getting out of it? If it's positive for you, then cool. Yeah. It's oh. where I don't worry about that. I worry about the people who are creating the interactive thing and whether or not their motivations are good or not because sure. we have no controls over it. So we can't stop the, the Ku Klux Klan from making nasty AI products because there's no law against it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know going back to this i guess it's a matter of like like i said i, I i'm a big 80s genre fan movies and please, I, think of the, please. I, I move, the movie total recall where yes if you remember the the premise you know mm-hmm. Arnold schwarzenegger mm-hmm. is plugged into this into this computer machine and the reality looks real and in the whole movie you're asking yourself is he still in there is he not you know is this real is it not yep and and uh i guess i, I I struggle with the idea that if you can create a world that is artificial, it's virtual, that people find to be better than the real world, or they interact better in that world than the real world, uh, is that better? Is no. that good? Right. No. And that, and so how do we stop? Because that's what I see. I, I've, uh, I go, my, my son, loves my younger son he's 10 he loves going to vr my daughter is 14 that's kind of when we go on daddy-daughter dates that's kind of the place that we agree (laughs) it's like the only place we agree we'll go and play and have fun and so but it's oppressive even in the last year or two how great the games have gotten and they're gonna get even better so do we do we draw a line there and who draws that line
1: we're not to total recall yet um and we're so far away from total recall that i think we've will us and kids and kids and kids all long dead before we get to that level of physical brain interaction with you know the virtual world um now i'm biased because i'm in i'm 54 i cannot imagine putting on a headset and looking at blocky avatars all day right mm-hmm. it just I don't mind video calls or whatever, but as that technology gets better, you know, I I do have a hard time with, if I go out to, uh, you know, when I was single or, you know, we were both in college and we went out to a bar and met people. Okay. Well now you, I guess you can do it virtually. I think it's sort of situational maybe that, that it's based on what's happening because, There are plenty of nasty predatory people that go into vr environments but it's still so cartoonish right now that it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much unless people start to have a problem to your point once you can't distinguish one versus the other then i think you've got to really you know sit down and be like okay what the hell are we doing because that uh, because every parent everywhere go out play with your friends, talk to another human being, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, but, but have, have, have good cheer here. We're a long time away from the the total regal where you're going to see the best part of VR in the next decade is in uh, corporate video conferencing.
0: Mm, Interesting. I bet that's good. I mean, I'm impressed with how it is right now. Like the fact that just in the last few years, I can do a podcast virtually with anyone in the world.
1: Oh, you, you couldn't. You, you,
0: you couldn't do that a few years ago. You know
1: Logi- what I mean? Logitech has a number. A, a, it's it's a proof of concept, so you, it's unaffordable. But ultimately, what it'll be is. Imagine a a, a shoebox that you know it's one side versus the other, and each party is sitting in a camera that is a three D camera that represents them in three D. It is literally the Star Wars hologram. Wow. the little communicator hologram and the person's talking and it's so good that as you walk around the person's body they don't disappear as a one-dimensional or two-dimensional flat object you can see behind them as you walk until you run out of space whatsoever but it's the real person and okay it looks like a hologram but it's the actual person making gestures and moving and whatnot that will be where a lot of this uh a lot of this tech will go wow
0: yeah yeah you know going back to what we were talking about before i even think about you know we we talked about uh you know just the level of technology and how it's affecting the way we communicate you mentioned um the way we communicated when we were kids versus the way Mm -hmm. our kids communicate and even just, uh, I remember telling my kids, you know, yeah, you know, they, they just couldn't believe that I had a phone in the wall. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, and then they go, well, what happened when you were like gone from the house? I was like, you didn't talk to him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, did, you you saw him the next day at school and they were like, Hey, we tried to call you. I was like, I was out. Yeah. And that's it, you know? And it, but, but even in just as interactions, like my son, he's 16 he's, You know i'm sure he's gonna hate me talking about this but he's dating right he's starting to date and uh i tried to explain to him i was like yeah you know in my day you had to you know i'm sounding like an old man but in my day if you wanted to meet somebody you had to get up and have the gumption to walk across the room make eye contact see if they smile get over there introduce yourself get their phone number now you know what i mean you just find a mutual friend on instagram you start liking their story. You start sending them mess text messages. You know what I mean. And then the human interaction. I mean, I don't know the way. You know, some of the some of the times that you look at the way that some of them interact, and they don't. You know, the, so there's a lot of social awkwardness sometimes. Not not with my son. My son's actually pretty. You know, I I talk about him a lot on these podcasts. He's actually a very good kid and very well grounded. But um, but like yeah, some of his friends are just socially awkward because they've been so busy just not really interacting with other people
1: we we knew
0: socially awkward kids when you and i were
1: were were growing up and (laughs) and and look and we did and so the methodology when when i was dating in you know in my teens and whatever there was no online dating websites etc etc there are changes that come along with that now the other side i have a no cell phone in the car rule Mm. for everyone not not you can't have it but i don't let Jaden, who's my oldest or his friends fart around on their phones when they're in the car because i i tell them i want you interacting with each other and me just for this 20 minute car ride you'll you'll live right I make them all put their phones down um it's it is my own personal age bias because they have done a great job adapting to new forms of tech by way of interacting with each other we wrote stupid little notes that we put into football shapes that said you know will you go out with me they send an origami emoji that says will you go out with me so there you know they're, they're, there's an adapt adaptation of the technology i think is fantastic but by the same token you have to be careful that just from the parental standpoint that as this stuff gets more advanced including AI oh, hello catfishing you have to be careful about how involved they actually get in it versus the old nothing beats the old school look the guy or girl in this case in the eye mm. right and so yeah there's there's a lot to worry about and, you know and because of our children's ages my biggest concern is what the hell are they going to do when they grow up i'm mm-hmm. i'm convinced i'm telling them both just go get a learn how to code learn how to code learn how to code unreal engine get into coding for ai do something like that mm-hmm. yeah. because the the work world is going to change dramatically mm-hmm. by the time i'm by the time i'm dead 40 years from now if i'm lucky i mean it'll be unrecognizable in a lot of ways
0: oh man so true i love your i love that rule of no phones in the car though that's a that's a great idea
1: we well you i'm sure you do it at the dinner table right i mean it, pretty much everyone does Or yeah anyone, for the most we'll, part
0: yeah. yeah i mean oh. i i'm i look i got i'm a i'm an attorney so i'm always checking my emails all the time so i have no room to talk i i'll be i'll be reading my phone my phone is attached at the hip but i the reason i like the car thing is i've you know, once a quarter I take all my kids out on like a father-son outing, daughter-daughter day just to kind of check in with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I find that in those phone, on those drives, that the drive to and from the place that we're going, that's when I learn the most about my kids. Yep. yep. You know, is when they're sitting there and I love driving my kids places and um and listening to them interact and talk and just how they talk about people and and how they, you know, especially my son and his friends, they're s- seniors in high school now. And just hearing them talk about this person did this and this person did that. And, oh, you know, this my girlfriend did this and uh, and, and rousing their friend who doesn't have a girlfriend yet or has never talked to a girl before. And it's just fun to watch. <laughs> it's just fun to watch that. And, and I think, you know, that rule would probably foster a lot more of that.
1: Well, I, I think it only comes from the idea that I, I agree with you that the the human interaction is so key that, okay, if I have to force it every now and again, I, Hey, our parents did it by kicking us out of the house, go outside yeah. and play. Right. Yeah. So the, like you, I'm at the dinner table, but also I'll tell my kids, Hey, you live in the house cause I work. So if I need to check my phone, it's okay for me. It's not okay for you. Cause I'm a hypocrite <laughs> and I'm totally okay with that. But in the car, not long road trips. You know, it's it's not if you're going to drive like we're going to go to South Padre Island, a six and a half hour drive. Hey, look, watch a movie. I mean, whatever. Yeah. But I get to take my kids to school when they're in school every morning, so I'm a work from home guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want them on the phone. Let's talk for five minutes. Yeah. Because it's just that reminder of of okay, just I understand the phones are good. We had phones growing up; they were just in the wall, right. but. At some point, have some, why does a child in the front seat of a car text the kid in the back seat? (laughs)
0: 100%. You can't just turn
1: around and say what you're going to say. Even if it's about me, I'd rather you just say it out loud because they're right there. Right. That's something I'll never understand. So I try to put a stop to it by just having a fun rule where we all talk, including me.
0: With the you kids. Know, if, if we're talking about things that we can't understand, I will never understand, you know, I was a video gamer when I was growing up. No, no. Uh, and uh, my kids play video games, but they don't play video games. They watch other people play video games on YouTube. And I go, why don't you just play the game? Oh no, you know, I like watching these. I mean, that's their thing. They sit there and I mean, my son will sit there all day if I let him and just watch other people play Roblox or whatever, or, or Apex Legends or, or uh, what do you call it? Fortnite on YouTube. Mm. It's just, it's
1: crazy. So I, I, I have seriously considered hitting myself in the head with a hammer every (laughs) time I see that because I, I, Ethan, why are you watching this loudmouth idiot play this game? Oh, it's cool. Why don't you play it yourself? Oh no, watch, watch him. Okay, right. It's not a sport. I played soccer. I can watch soccer. I think there's a difference. Football, whatever. But you're not even. You don't even play the game. The guy's playing.
0: Yeah, like that's that's what's funny. My my oldest son, he he always comes to his little brother's aid, which I appreciate. But he always comes. He goes, "Hey, Dad, you know you play basketball, but you also watch other people play basketball. Why can't he do that with video games?" And I'm like, "Get out of here with your logic, you know." <laughs> no like, logic. No logic here. Okay, just listen to me. I'm your dad. I know something. Forget the so, logic part. How about the fact that
1: okay, you play basketball, but watching basketball as a sport is markedly different because you play it. Right. I wouldn't watch people running around playing paintball. Right. Well, that's or mo- point. motocross because I don't do those things, right? The one excuse I got that was good was my one of my sons once said, "I watch because this guy shows you how to beat levels and stuff." Okay, yeah. that's learning. I'm totally coped. Yeah. That's good for you. Anything other than that, I'm like, "No. Why? What's yeah. the point?" And don't us don't get us folks started on the whole TikTok thing.
0: Oh. I you know what I have a TikTok strictly to promote this podcast that's okay and I'll tell you what yeah I I've I've gotten stuck on a TikTok tock uh, wormhole there just flipping through things as they come through it's,
1: it's not that it's it's watching these guys there's a there's a guy on YouTube who does um, sort of like he's an online scam debunker and he's nailed a couple of the t- of the TikTok guys and I made my kids watch it because it's like you know and they're they're just like your kids are very well grounded so they've learned if i see it on tiktok it's probably bs mm. i gotta double check it because it's probably not true like right. you know hey dad i saw kiev burning on a tiktok video is the war over no son it's a tiktok video
0: <laughs> you know but
1: it, yeah but the, again this is all their their new tech i mean you know look ai ai is is terrifying in the same way that atomic weaponry was and that nuclear weaponry was. And AI is terrifying in a different way because we don't have any, anything guarding the hen house right now. Nothing. Any fox in the world can wander in and start chomping if they if they so choose. Um, and so now I, and part of the reason that my company does what we do and I do what I do is we need to have some guardrails in place to at least help us control what it could be. And we're not there yet unless people understand, recognize, and, and speak up about the necessity to create some safety measures so that we don't wind up in 20 years with our kids unable to find you know meaningful work or a society where ai has done so much that people are like that one disney movie where they're all in the spaceship on those little floaty carts are all fat and lazy or whatever i mean we have to act we have to act now we cannot allow we can't allow this to grow to such a point that by the time we get around to trying to fix it it'll be like guns in america and there's just too much to control
0: yeah wow you know, um, I appreciate everything that you've said on here, and there are some questions I, I have that I ask everybody. But but before sure. I get into but before I get into those, let me ask you, what was it about? What got you into working on AI? Well,
1: I've been in security
0: for for the
1: larger part of my
0: career, and
1: uh, the AI has is now become a big part of security. Um, it, the honest answer is, the company I'm with now got me into AI in a much more direct fashion because of their connection with the security industry. But the juxtaposition of security and AI is what has brought into focus for me the necessity to create these guardrails because of the security and surveillance, like, you know, state surveillance type things, uh, uh, potential with it. So,
0: and that's something I did want to briefly touch on with you. I know we've already been going over an hour, but I that's want okay. to ask you, No, please. you know, there is that concern about the state using AI. I mean, we all remember, you know, Edward Snowden leaking all that stuff about what they were doing with cell phones. What, what potentially is, it sounds like there's a potential that with AI, they could be tracking literally every movement we make.
1: So I am, and I'm, by saying this, I am not accusing anyone of being that way. I'm not a black helicopter guy at all. I'm actually a selfish people will use power to their own ends as an individual guy. But 50% of Americans have their face in a legal law enforcement facial recognition database. And nothing you can do about it now. And the, the potential, put it this way. If you live in a metropolis where you hear that the the city is considering facial recognition camera systems or shot spotter gun, blah 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 blah, say no, just say no, just just say no, because it only takes one bad decision. This is 2023. We're not talking about 1939. If 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 Hitler had had a hold of artificial intelligence technology in 1938 39 that whole thing would have had a much different outcome than it than it did in terms of not only the the holocaust but even in monitoring his own population so there we have to be pushing for the ethical use of ai in other words you don't get to know anything about me without my permission including government okay you got my driver's license that you gave it to me i i get it but we have to be firm with people on protecting the right to privacy, inclusive of using AI and security systems to recognize me without my permission.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the concern, right? Because here, here's why I, I worry about this uh, duty to read. And what I mean by that is is in contract law, there is a duty to read, which means if you sign a contract, but you didn't read it, Tough. it's enforceable even if you didn't read it that's your fault yeah Yeah. and how many times do we get licensing agreements or we get these things you know oh terms and conditions have changed on uh, on your iphone and you you know accept arbitration clauses and you accept all these different things that are adverse to your interests it just seems to me like the state could easily have you click a button on your phone that you agree to allow them to use your facial recognition you don't realize like you just saying right there 50 percent of people have their face in a facial recognition program for law enforcement i bet those 50 percent don't know that
1: oh god no they have no idea
0: right zero right zero yeah.
1: zero zero percent chance
0: right and so how do we how do we safeguard against this surveillance state which is i mean we're already kind of there in some ways uh how do we It just seems like all we need is one bad, one bad thing to happen. And then everyone's like, let's use facial recognition. Let's use all this AI. And the next thing you know, we're all being tracked. So
1: here's my answer. When you have seen horrific events like Columbine, uh, school shooters, et cetera, right? Any mass shooter, to be fair you see it immediately followed by a bunch of knuckleheads claiming that they can put up systems that can recognize guns and intent. And literally people who try to get you to believe, well, I can tell if he's about to become a school shooter just by his gait. So step one is overreact on the reason the thing happened, but don't overreact on preventative medicine because most of it doesn't work anyway. And so you have to be aware of not giving up, rights under the assumption you get some sort of, of safety benefit some sort of protection in the 30s the uh, when when it cost a million and a half marks to buy a loaf of bread there was a survey that went around germany about the freedom of the press would you be willing to give away freedom of the, pet, the press for the ability to feed your family it was more complicated and of course everyone said yes because they're all starving it was the it was, you know post world war 1 weimar germany And we have to be advised to be careful of the same thing. Don't start giving a yes because you're afraid of what might have happened or what could happen. Don't give up by saying, yeah, let's put facial recognition cameras everywhere and let's stop and frisk everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think rights and prevention of a police state, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens a tiny little chiseled piece of the wall at a time. And that that's where I think you have to, you have to look and be like, wait a minute, what does this system actually do? Right. Mm-hmm. You're telling me it's going to help with X, but what are you going to do with the pictures it takes? What right. are you going to, right. And if the answer is we're going to use them for a bunch of other stuff, then no, I don't want it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, and th- that's the problem though, is that, uh, you know, after nine eleven you know, the Patriot Act and all these different things that, mm-hmm. that they start passing in a way to protect us that actually they use our data for things that, uh, that we didn't know that they were using them for. And you know, I, an, you have another catastrophic event and I can see them easily using AI to, you know, further surveil us. And you may, we that that's a discussion that we could have about whether that's better or for worse. I personally think that it's for the worse, you know, uh, they can follow everything that we're doing and everything that we're deciding that's, that's pretty scary.
1: And how many people would say, yes, I'll trade for better safety where in a free society, one of the downsides of the fact that democracy is the, what was it? The best of all the worst possible forms of government is that a free society trades safety for freedom. Yeah. It just does. Hey, you want to be safe? You remember the old days when the Soviet Union was a Soviet Union the U.S. was the U.S. and everybody in the world was actually really safe because the Russians had their thumb on all of the other bad actors. Mm -hmm. So freedom is not as safe as dictatorship or authoritarianism in terms of the random bomber guy. Hey, I can walk down the middle of Beijing. I've done this with, you know, a wallet full of money and, and, and slightly intoxicated. And I know I'm safe because if somebody mugs me, they'll be executed. Right. Okay. So don't, I mean, freedom is expensive. And part of the way it's expensive is that you're just, you know what? Somebody might steal a plane and fly it into a building. Do you want to give up freedoms? Because that's happened twice in our recorded history.
0: And a lot of people said yes. <laughs> and I
1: think a lot of those people looking back are like, well, we meant yes for a little while. But right. once you give a ruling body an inch, they're just going to keep it.
0: Yeah. No, that's 100% true. This has been a really good discussion on this. Let me ask you a couple of questions of just personally about you. Sure. Uh, what, what would you say uh, was your biggest success in life?
1: My kids and both my cds
0: your C- your cds yeah you my kids use, well use
1: well okay so i'll give you two personal i didn't think i was going to have kids i got married late whatever but my kids are you know they're they're just because they're good kids right i mean yeah i'm proud of them and that matters and then the other the professional one would honestly be the fact that as a musician i've played shows and done shared stages and whatnot with bands that i listened to growing up and saw in concert so
0: so what do you play
1: uh I, I primarily a guitar player but i'm a multi-instrument instrumentalist so i write using pretty much everything wow
0: so do you have like a band or are you a one guy musician
1: uh, a band out of dallas that i left but we're we're still together it's just much more difficult now and then i i have solo material as well yeah
0: oh wow cool so who who's somebody that you've uh, that you've played with
1: oh god warrant rat Great White, UFO, Mr. Big autograph.
0: No were you, what were you what were you were you playing guitar for them
1: or? No, 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 we were opening. We were main support opening acts for them.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, um, So
0: is that, is that the kind of music you play kind of like 80s hair it, metal Yeah, stuff? it was like
1: an 80s rock metal kind of a thing and we fit that bill. So all of uh, Black and Blue, uh, oh god, Tom Kiefer, Cinderella, uh We did a sideshow thing with journey and REO Speedwagon, which is not as cool as it sounds. I didn't know who we were. We were on a different (laughs) stage, but, but yeah, I mean, which is kind of cool because a lot of, you know, you grow up with a lot of these bands and then you find yourself in the pit after the show with Billy Sheehan chatting with people about, you know, whatever. So
0: that's, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great era too, to be able to hang out with all those bands. Those are are some of the best ones I've seen journey with, uh, with every, um, every guy that they've had except Steve Perry. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, that was, they're, they're always a good time. So, so, um, what would you say is your biggest failure in life? And what did you learn from it?
1: Oh, you'll appreciate this. Uh, my biggest failure in life was, uh, not doing enough due diligence on a business partner, and the business itself such that I've spent four years involved in a civil litigation over the partnership dissolution. Oh man, that's painful. Yeah. Yeah. You're a lawyer. You know how much you guys cost. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Which is kind of unfair because, you know, you can never really know the heart of men and I would have had no way of knowing, but it's, it was, it it is something that it was humiliate, humbling was humbling, which had a good side because I probably needed some humility. But it was also uh, it's been a really, really rough thing. And so, yeah, not something I would wish on pretty much anyone else.
0: Yeah, that's tough, man. You know, I, Mike, I do personal injury and wrongful death. And, you know, I, I catch people in pretty much the worst circumstances they've been in when they've been injured. And some of these cases are, go three or four years. And uh, it's so taxing on people you know, especially when you're dealing, I mean, you're dealing with somebody, you know, it's someone personal. So that's, that's one thing. But when you're dealing with an insurance company that doesn't want to pay out and, uh, you know, you've been badly injured and they're questioning everything about your injury, following you doing surveillance, suggesting you're faking, um, it takes a toll. And, um, so it actually makes you proud of what I do because I get an opportunity to help people in ways that they wouldn't be able to help themselves, but I I'll feel bet, for everybody I, who's involved. I think
1: the way you do that best, I'll bet you, I'll bet you, is this. When you don't know what the law is, you think you do, but you don't. And a good lawyer helps you understand the fact that, for example, the English language and legal language sound and look the same, but they're opposite. Completely and the way the legal system works is not what you've seen on law and order and it's not what you've seen in in you know et cetera et cetera so good lawyers and i have one several actually have been great at helping me understand even though i hate it why things happen the way they happen yeah right and some of the lessons are bad like always be the first person to sue i hate that but that's the way that it is. You want the other guy in the defensive, but I'm sure it's the same in your, in your role. You can sit down with someone and say, look, they ran you over with a semi. You think you're deserving X and I agree with you, but here's how it's actually going to play out.
0: So I tell every one of my clients in the first sign up, I go, listen, there's going to come a time when you're going to think that I'm actually telling you that your case is bad. And I go, and the thing is, is that's not true. What I have to do when an offer comes through is I have to explain to you the risks of not taking the offer. Mm -hmm. So I have to tell you, when you sit there, I had this conversation recently with a lady who she had a a concussion in a collision with a DUI driver. But a year before she'd had a situation, um, you know, uh, I, I probably shouldn't talk much about it because the case is still ongoing. But often we have cases where people think that the value they they don't want to hear the risks of their case hey you have a pre-existing condition you don't know what a jury is going to do with that Mm -hmm. they have this record that you don't remember where you're reporting leg pain and you have a leg injury now but you were three months before you're complaining about leg pain right so so these are the types of things that they don't like to hear and that's the thing i think a lot of the times why attorneys get such a bad rap is we got to tell you the good and the bad. I personally think as an attorney, it does you no good for me to sugarcoat anything. I have to tell you exactly what's going to happen. So you make an informed decision.
1: Hey, you can take a hundred grand. Now you might get 500 or nothing
0: Exactly on and, the, and,
1: on the other and, end.
0: And that's often the conversation we have when an offer has come through and we're six weeks from trial. I go, okay. so. You know here's what they're offering here's what it's going to cost to try the case which means to net the exact same amount you've got to beat that number by this amount just to break even does a jury do that maybe also maybe not you know up to you and i've had a lot of clients there are some times where i'll tell a client i think you can do better than this at trial and they sure. either do or do not follow me. And then I've had some who I say, I don't think you're going to do better than this. And some say, I don't care. I want to try the case. Mm-hmm. And, and some say, no, we're going to resolve it. And I don't, and,
1: know, how, I don't know how judgments work on this side of
0: it. I mean, maybe it's exactly the same,
1: but I'll tell you what, eye opening when my attorney said, hey, you know, if you win this thing against ex-partner and they get a judgment, you still have to go collect it, which is yeah. going to add cost Etc. Etc. So if somebody shows up and says we're going to pay you X you kind of have to also consider what would it cost me to collect if I force them to pay more Mm -hmm. than that and from my side you know for everyone that listen and listens to Josh Apaga like if you're going to use an attorney don't lie to them just tell them the truth that's the worst just tell them the truth and and even if it doesn't make you look good or whatever because attorneys can't help you if you lie and I think part of my problem with this case is that my ex-partner has been he's believed a story for so long and he's told the attorneys and they're going on what they think the truth is. But the reality is they don't have the full the, the full truth. you got to be completely honest with the attorney. Otherwise, you're it's boxing with one hand tied behind your back. But I've,
0: these are all I've, things you learn. I've fi- I've fired a, a million dollar client for lying to me. Yeah, I believe it. And that's well, you should. Because it, it, quite frankly, it was. I got to credit my boss for this. He told me one time because I said it. it we were we were probably eight not eight weeks from trial, and uh, I found out he had been lying to me, and and uh, about how bad his injury was. And he was. He goes, listen, you know, you you don't put, you don't put money above, your integrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, and so yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate that people do do that. And, and what they don't understand is all they're doing is. I've had, I had one I had one not you know I've had a couple of times where I've gone to a deposition and they told me one thing and it proved not to be the truth. Mm. And when I pulled them out I told them I go you know if you had just told me the truth I could have protected you from that. You yep. know? But or I could have told you how to handle that. But now you,
1: now, you do have attorney that. client privilege kids. I mean you can tell them anything yeah. you know, unless you're right. unless what you say is I'm going to go kill someone which right. you have to reveal then they're <laughs> they're, they're, they're protected from yeah. that. And you're also legally required. If you get an offer, you have to tell your client, you're not allowed to, to eat. The, oh, I'll just not tell them that's a, right. that's illegal for you to do. You can get in trouble for that. You have to tell them what the offer is, even if it's crappy.
0: Right. And that's really, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's unfortunate that sometimes I do, there are clients who I feel like they're actually trying to game me too like like I'm not going to work very hard for them if I if I know they'll take a certain amount and uh and that's just not the way I operate but that's that's okay you know I I love what I do I think that what I do is necessary it is uh, it's different it's different for me than what you have because you know I'm dealing with insurance companies so at the end of the case usually the insurance company writes the check Um, but, uh, but yeah, when I see the way that some of these people, when they come into me, the way that the insurance companies have treated them, uh, it makes me, and when I see quite frankly, what they do, um, to these people at trial and through the process, it's very gratifying to get the, the jury to award, uh, and really hammer on them. It feels good. Listen,
1: never you you can say what you want about it. Of course, you're not this, but the ambulance chaser or whatever. But guess what? I mean, if it was left up to just the insurance companies, they would do that famous uh, was it the Travolta movie? Say no until what the first two times say no and don't say yes. till the third time, because 80% of the people stop asking Yeah, the only way to hold companies like this to any sort of account is hitting them in the wallet and the only people that do that are guys like
0: you. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, you bring up ambulance chasers because I will tell you in my line of work, there are those, there, there are people out there who they, um, you know, they're churn and burn. They're usually on commercials. They're usually, you know, the guys on billboards, not all of them. There are some very good ones out there that do that, but there's, there's some out there and that's just not my business. You know, I, I'm a trial attorney that's what I want to do. I I will take cases to trial. There's a lot of personal injury attorneys out there because we're on a contingency fee basis. They think to themselves, Oh, you know, well, I'm a contingency fee guy, which means I only, I get paid based on the case, not per the hour. So if I work less, I make more money per hour, Correct. but that's just not the way I work at it. The way I work at it is I go, okay, if I do a great job for all of these clients and these insurance companies know that I'm not going to bend, that's only benefiting the future clients. You know, every single time and it gets me value on the cases and, and my whole firm is like that. It's just the way I was raised in the law. I've been at the same firm. I'm a partner here and I've been at the same firm the entire I've been an attorney 11 years now and and uh, 14 good years in this firm and uh, it's just the way we operate. So good been, for you. Good, good for
1: you. So, I yes, I've been I've enjoyed it, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would be happy to come back anytime. This is uh, you're a wonderfully thoughtful conversationalist.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, let me ask you one last question before we let you go. Yes. Uh, one day, hopefully 40, 40 years or even more with AI down Uh, the road. You, uh, you're going to pass away and you're going to have a funeral. What would you like? The one thing you'd like to someone to say about you in your eulogy.
1: (laughs) He wasn't an asshole. Um. (laughs) Depends oh, on who's asking. Yeah, well, that's I gave my dad's eulogy, and and all I really care about is talking about the fun, good stuff that that people have done. So in my case, I would want to, frankly, I'd want to have somebody talk about the musical stuff and the traveling and all the good stuff, and and just you know that I got to live a full life.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, dude, one day we're gonna have to have you come back and just talk music. Because if you're Absolutely. in the 80s hair metal, man, we're going to have to get in here.
1: I'm all over about. it. I can, I can talk chapter and verse, Josh. I'd look forward right
0: to on. it. Right on, man. Well, thank you for coming on. And oh, I'm supposed to tell everybody subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. This yep. has been a great conversation.
1: Do subscribe, everyone. And thank you, Josh.